Ruth is a little book that comes between Judges and 1 Samuel. Judges and 1 Samuel. And if that doesn't help you, if you've got a church Bible, there's page numbers on this orange sheet that should help you. And the orange sheet has notes so you can see where we're going with this. And if there's anyone here from Ukraine, there's a Ukrainian sheet with notes as well that's bright yellow. And if you wanted it, it's, I'm sure that someone could give you one. It's on the back. By the hymn books. Shao is waving one around. Ruth chapter 1. Picture a dusty road under a hot sun in the Middle East. And there in that, on that dusty road you see three women walking together. Two are young, maybe in their 20s. One is older, maybe 40s or 50s. And you see them walking along that dusty road under a blazing Middle Eastern sunshine. And then you notice them stop walking. And they're talking together. And, and there seems to be a little bit of a disagreement going on. And then you notice they're crying. And one, one of the younger ones kisses the older one, gives her a big hug, and turns back and walks away. The other two are having an animated discussion while the other one walks, well, one has walked away. Who are they? Well, the older one's called Naomi. She's an Israelite. Her family left Israel in a time of famine to find food in the enemy country of Moab. Her husband and sons have died there in Moab. And she's left with just the two daughters-in-law her sons married, Moabites, young women. And now she's on her way back home to Israel. She's heard the Lord has provided food in her homeland and off she goes. One of her daughters-in-law is the young woman who's just turned back to go back to Moab. The other is Ruth. She's the young woman she's talking to now. Let's get closer. Let's draw in and listen to their conversation. Verse 15. Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything except death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's a lovely little ancient story, but why should it be of any interest to us? Well, because it's a real-life, honest story of people turning to God or returning to God. We all need God. We all need him to be for us, not against us. We all need to turn to God. So what is that like in reality? Not just what's the ideal, not just what's the textbook version, but what's it like in ordinary lives with the struggles and difficulties of ordinary lives? Well, we get that here in the book of Ruth. Let's see what turning to God is like from the real life examples here in Ruth chapter one, mainly Ruth's example, but we'll bring in Naomi as well. And the point of this is not just so we hear a nice story. 
Certainly not just to fill this slot in the Sunday service. The point is so we each turn to God. Whether that is for the first time in your life you turn to God, or whether it's as part of the Christian life, which is one of ongoing, repeated turning from sin back to God. So let's get some lessons about turning to God. First one is this. Turning isn't always one neat turn. Isn't always one neat turn. Many sermons have been spoken on Ruth's words in verses 16 to 17 because they are wonderful words. But I suspect that many sermons have romanticized these words into the greatest statement of faith and the greatest example of conversion. But I suspect if we drew near to Ruth on that road and started to quiz her about her faith, maybe we could give her a little church membership interview. We might be rather disappointed. If we asked her about the promised Messiah, we might find she'd never heard of him, didn't know there was such a person. If we questioned her about the need for sacrifice for sin, we might find she was totally clueless, didn't know. If we read verse 16 and 17 simply for what Ruth says, not for what we'd like to read into them, we'd find it's basically a statement of loyalty to Naomi. It's basically Ruth being loyal to her mother-in-law. But, but it does have little seeds of faith in it. Only seeds, they haven't yet grown, but there are little seeds of faith here. Have you spotted them? What's at the centre of her statement in verse 16? Well, it's the end of verse 16, but it's the centre of what she says. Your God will be my God, says someone who had previously worshipped a load of idols. Little seed of faith. Here's another one. She believes the Lord. Verse 17 She refers to the Lord. Now, we're so used to, we've got a house of lords in our country, haven't we? We're so used to the word Lord, we can not notice it isn't here just a vague general belief there is a God. It is the name of the God of Israel. It's very specific. It was probably in the original language, the name Yahweh. She's saying, he, this personal God, I believe he's in control. That's behind verse 17. And verse 16, she wants to be one of God's people. Now, they're just little seeds of faith, but there's something there that could grow. Where does it come from? It probably comes from having heard Naomi talk about God. Verse 6, when food comes to Bethlehem, It isn't just the harvest happened well. It's not just, oh, the shops have got their supplies in. We've got past the problems of supply chains. No, it's the Lord has provided. He's in control. When she's hoping that these two girls will get provided with a husband, verse 9, it's the Lord may grant you one. In verse, I skipped over verse 8, I meant to say, She wants the Lord to show kindness to them. Naomi is a woman who believes the Lord is in control. He's kind and he provides. And it comes out in her conversation. Ruth must have noticed this. And it's planted little seeds of faith in her. Now, they're only little seeds. But they will sprout and grow. And they will eventually grow into this. 
chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12, Ruth is described as someone who has come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. See that in chapter 2, verse 12. A man is speaking to Ruth and he describes her as, you've come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. That's where Ruth will end up. She's not there yet in verse 16 and 17, but she's on the way. There are little seeds of faith and they will sprout and grow. But turning to God isn't always one neat turn in one go. That's often the way. In fact, that's usually the way, I suspect, for for the vast majority of Christians. It's been the way that it hasn't been one neat turn. One of the romanticised stories in Christian history is the story of John Newton. If you've sung Amazing Grace, you've sung a hymn written by him. John Newton, great story. He was a slave trader. And the story goes that he was converted, he turned to Jesus in his terror during a a terrible storm while he was steering his slave trading ship and he became a Christian and he gave up his slave trading and he became a vicar and he became a campaigner against the slave trade. Wonderful story. But if you read John Newton's account, it's, it's not as simple as the romanticized version. Yes, there was a storm at sea that was very significant, but he was already before that wrestling with God, and he still after that was confused and wrestling with God. And his path of turning to Jesus was a very bumpy, uneven one. In fact, even when he became a Christian, he still for quite a while carried on being a slave trader. It took him quite a long time to see, here is a terrible sin I must turn from and fight against. It wasn't just one neat turn. Now, what am I getting at here? Why am I saying this? If you're not a Christian, I am not encouraging you to think you'll gradually become a Christian. Maybe you'll find out a bit today and you'll believe a bit more next week and maybe you'll turn from this sin tomorrow and then there's another sin. Yeah, you can deal with that later in the autumn maybe. Now, I'm not encouraging that sort of attitude. The Bible says to you, now turn from your sin. Now follow Jesus. Do it now. But the point I'm making is to Christians who look back over their lives and think, When did I become a Christian? It all looks a bit of a mess. And it looks not at all a straight path. Maybe you look back over your life and you see, well, I made a commitment then, back then, but there was so much I didn't understand. Did I really become a Christian then? I was quite clueless. Or I prayed at that age, but did I really become a Christian then? Because afterwards, look at all that sin I fell into. And many Christians become troubled trying to work out, when did I become a Christian? Well, don't let that trouble you. That's the point I'm making. Don't let that trouble you. Do you get troubled about trying to remember when you were born? How many people here are seriously worried whether they were born because they can't remember it? No, you say, look. I'm convinced I'm alive now, so I know I must have been born at some point, because I can see signs of life now. Well, the same is true spiritually. 
The question isn't, can you pinpoint exactly when you became a Christian? The question is, do you have signs of life now? Faith and turning from sin now. Because the path to Jesus is often not a very straightforward one and very different for different people. Turning is not always one neat turn. Here's a second lesson. Turning involves commitment. Turning involves commitment. Ruth's sister Orpah turned back, verse 14. Naomi says to Ruth, you turn back, verse 15. And Ruth says, verse 16, no, I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. I've make, I'm making a commitment, Ruth says. I'm sticking with you and your God right through to death. Or alternative translation we heard was, even if there is death, nothing's going to separate us. She makes a commitment, a firm commitment. And that commitment didn't just mean turning to, it also meant turning from. Children, I hope you're listening this morning. Uh, Can you use your brains and have a think about this? What sort of things did Ruth have to turn from if she was going to go with Naomi? Just have a think. Don't answer out loud at the moment. What sort of things did Ruth have to turn from if she's going to go with Naomi? Or from her country? She left her country of Moab and her home. That's a big thing to do. She left her idols. She doesn't say, your God will be one of my gods. She says, your God will be my God. And there's a massive difference there. You can't add God to your Hindu collection or whatever other collection it might be. No, your God will be my God, the only one. And even her parents, her parents, how do I know that? You could have a look in chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, we discover her parents were still alive. And she left them. And she'd never expect to see them again. Turning to God involves commitment and turning from as well as to. And that is all a shadow. It's all a shadow. What do I mean? In the Old Testament, you get shadows of Jesus. Children, what is your shadow like? Well, it's a bit like you. It's the same shape, isn't it? Never is your shadow the shape of a cat, is it? No? Never do you have a shadow the shape of a pig. No? Your shadow is the shape of you. But it's not as good as you, is it? It's not got the same colours, it's not three-dimensional, it's not alive, it's not you, but it's like you. And in the Old Testament, you get shadows of Jesus. Like him, but not him, and not as good as him. And Ruth's commitment is a shadow of commitment to Jesus. It shows us the main outlines of commitment to Jesus. You see, Jesus said... No one who puts his hand to the plough and then looks back and wonders, well, do I really want to do this, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to turn to him is a commitment. No turning back. There's an old chorus that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's what Ruth is illustrating to us. And Jesus said, it's not only no turning back, it also involves turning from. And he put it really strongly. I'll read you from Matthew 10. Jesus said, 
anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What strong words. It's one of the many places that shows us Jesus claims to be God because he says he must come first. When Jesus, when obeying Jesus clashes with what others expect of you, even parents, you must obey Jesus. Whatever upset it may cause. That's a, that's a massive demand that Jesus makes. Only he can make it because only he is God. And he's clear with us. He's clear with us what it's going to involve. You see, Jesus isn't like an estate agent. Now, sorry, I don't know everyone's jobs here. If you're an estate agent, sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to now call all estate agents rogues. But, <laughs> but, doesn't this sort of thing happen? Yeah, there's the advert the estate agent has written and it says, delightful character property would suit someone looking for a project. Now, what does that mean? What it means is it's falling apart and we hope you won't notice how much it's going to cost you to put it right. Yeah, there is a reputation, isn't there? I'm sure they don't all fit it, but uh, that estate agents won't tell you exactly what you're in for. They'll try to make it look an awful lot better. Jesus is not an estate agent. He is a good Lord to follow. And he's honest and clear with you from the start. There's going to be commitment. There's going to be cost. There's going to be turning from. There's going to be people you'll upset. They're going to be hard decisions. But he is worth following. Turn to him. Third lesson. Turning leads to belonging. Turning leads to belonging. Let's get back to Ruth and verse 16. What does she say? Verse 16, your people will be my people. She wants to be one of these people, the people of God. She wants to belong to them. Your God will be my God. What does that mean? I want to belong to him. To put it in the technical terms, she's becoming part of the covenant community. What does that mean? Hundreds of years before, God had made a solemn commitment called a covenant with the people of Israel. And at the heart of the covenant was this. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I, I doubt Ruth knows that, but unknown to her, she's repeating the language of the covenant. Ruth's words are exactly in line with God's covenant. And whether she realises it or not, the answer to her wishes is God's promise. She's going to belong to God's people and belong to God. Now, this is one of the lovely themes of the book of Ruth. This is what makes it such a lovely story. It's about an outsider becoming an insider. It's about a solitary person no longer being solitary. It's about an enemy, the Moabites were the enemies, becoming one of God's people and belonging. And again, it's a shadow of what turning to Jesus results in. At the heart of becoming a Christian is turning to Jesus to belong to him. To no longer be an individual on your own doing your own thing, but belonging to Jesus. At the heart of becoming a Christian is this attitude, Jesus, I need you. 
I can't manage life on my own. I need to belong to you. Jesus, I'm an outsider. Bring me into God's family. Jesus, I'm an enemy of God. I've lived against him. Make me one of God's people. Do you realise that is that is really the attitude behind becoming a Christian? It's not just, I like the sound of this Christianity. I want a ticket to heaven. Good, got it. Bingo, off we go. Let's carry on doing my own thing. Belonging, turning to Jesus is turning to belong to him. And belonging to him also means belonging to his people. If you know anything of the Old Testament, you'll know you couldn't be one of God's people and say, but I want to just live in a tent on my own, miles away from the Israelites, and do my own thing. No, you had to belong to the Israelites. And you had to join in the feasts. And you had to go to the temple to worship. You had to actively be part of God's people. And it's no less so in the New Testament. To belong to Jesus, you show that by baptism, is is being baptised into Jesus, to belong to him. But it's also called being baptised into the body of Jesus, to belong to them, the other Christians, to be part of his church. And just like in the Old Testament, you can't just sit at a distance and opt out of church life. I wonder if there's anyone here and you belong to Jesus, but you haven't made a clear Ruth-like commitment to God's people. Maybe you're sitting at the edge of church, metaphorically. Maybe you're just not making it clear. Do you belong to God's people? Or make a clear Ruth-like commitment to the church of Jesus, whether it's here at Hollywell or if you're visiting from another church. Here's the fourth lesson. What's turning to God like? Turning means taking refuge. Taking refuge. Now, we don't know how much Ruth understands in verse 16. We mustn't romanticise and read too much in, but we do know something wonderful has happened by chapter 2, verse 12. Let's go back to that. Chapter 2, verse 12. There's this man, Boaz, and talking to Ruth, he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. By chapter 2, Ruth is taking refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. It's a beautiful picture of what turning to God is like. It tells us turning to God is not sort your life out. Make yourself a better person. Turn over a new leaf and improve. That's not what turning to God is. Turning to God is like this. A little chick running around the farmyard. Children, can you picture this? You've seen the little yellow fluffy chick. And it's running around the farmyard. And it's ignoring its mother. And it's doing its own thing. And it's very pleased with itself. And it thinks it's big and strong. And it puffs out its fluffy little feathers and it goes to peck at little bits of dirt and seed until suddenly it sees a sparrow hawk overhead and it scuttles as quickly as it can under the wings of its mother and it's no longer feeling pleased with itself and big and strong and it's no longer puffing out its silly fluffy little yellow feathers no it's just glad it's got a mother to keep it safely under its wing. And it's not saying, what a good chick I am. Look, I've turned. I've turned to you, mother. You should be very pleased with me. No, it's just 
rather tremblingly, sheltering under the wing. And that is repentance. That is repentance. That's what turning to Jesus is like. Jesus said about the people who were about to kill him as he was arriving at Jerusalem. He said about them, how often I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you weren't willing. And it's far more than just a nice idea because Jesus was going to Jerusalem to be killed, not just because those wicked people wanted to kill him, but because he was determined to take the anger of God that should pour down on us to take it on himself so he could shelter us and we wouldn't have it pour out on us. Jesus was dying to be a refuge the refuge that took the full force of justice against our sin so we could be sheltered like chicks under a wing and be safe. All of our commitment, all of our belonging, all of our turning must flow from this, relying on this. He is the refuge and we can and must shelter in him. Now, I hope from that the last point is obvious. Here's the last lesson about turning. And I hope it's obvious from that picture of sheltering under a wing. And it's this. Don't depend on how well you have turned. Don't depend on how well you have turned. Now, we've been looking at Ruth. And her words in verse 16 and 17 are the most famous bit of chapter 1. But they're not the main storyline, actually. I even wonder if the book should be called the book of Naomi. That's a bit controversial. Because the main storyline of chapter 1 is Naomi returning. Sometime have a read of chapter 1 and look for the word return. It keeps coming up, the word return. That is the theme, Naomi returning. Naomi had gone away from God's people. She'd left the covenant community. But now she has returned. See verse 22. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab. That's the story of chapter one. Naomi returning, having left God and his people. Now her returning was far from perfect. Far from perfect. We saw last week. For example, verse 13. What, how does Naomi talk in verse 13? It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Now, those are the words of someone who believes the Lord is in control, but she is certainly not happy with him. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, we must sympathise with her. Do not be harsh on Naomi. Her husband has died and her two sons have died. And she sees that actually God is behind this, possibly because of her sin. These are words of faith, but they are far from perfect words. In fact, they're very rude to Ruth, aren't they? I'm empty, she says, while she's got standing next to her a wonderful daughter-in-law. Naomi's returning is far from perfect. 
And when she returns, she still feels empty. Verse 21, she says, I'm empty. She's turned back from God and she still feels empty. There's a lesson. But God will be kind to her. He will. The story of Ruth, I would assert, is actually the story of Naomi being filled. There's a little hint in verse 22. Naomi returned and she gets two little hints of kindness. She's got Ruth with her, who will turn out to be better than seven sons, it says later on. And harvest is beginning. And the end of chapter two, she gets filled a little bit more. And the end of chapter three, she gets filled a little bit more until the end of chapter four, the whole book ends with Naomi having a a baby on her lap who's described as her son. The empty woman has been filled. The woman who was grumbly about God and whose turning was far from perfect has received God's kindness. This is encouragement to any Christians who, who are aware you have drifted off from God. Maybe you're wandering around far from God. Are you aware of your distance from God? Are you aware of ways you've wandered from him? Are you feeling empty? Are you aware of your weakness and of how far from complete your repentance is? And how there's so much wrong with it. Naomi is there to say, still turn back from God. Don't let that keep you away. Don't depend on how well you have turned. Depend on his kindness. And even though you might, as you begin to turn, still be like Naomi at the end of the chapter, still feeling empty and maybe even bitter. Naomi's story is put in the Bible to tell you God is kind. He is full of undeserved kindness. And he will eventually fill you again. Ruth is a romantic story. It's known for that. But it's also a realistic story. And it shows you turning to God in all the messiness of real life. It's not just a story for our enjoyment. It's certainly not just a story to fill a slot in a, in a Sunday service. It's a story for this. So you turn to God. Will you?